The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 29. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well, and see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together, and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the son of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son and that she ran and she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh, and he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. 
She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May be seated. Good morning. How are we doing on this sleepy Sunday morning? Right? We've enjoyed the weather this week. Right? You buy a boat or something? Um, I got a, I got a few, a couple, one announcement here real quick before we get started. Um, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here at Sacred City. I want to welcome you. Um, if you have a chill, a child down in kids ministry, uh, we've switched curriculums in the past couple of weeks and we want to make known to you a resource that we have at our box office. It's called the gospel story Bible. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of what we're teaching. You know, this is what we're teaching out of now. Um, and it's also got another book that goes along with it. That's got all of our lesson plans, um, that goes along with it. So I, w- I want to let you know what, what we're trying to do in the kids ministry. Our desire at Sacred City Church is to make disciples, okay? Disciples all ages, okay? So we want to partner with parents to help them make and raise disciples of Jesus. So what this curriculum does is it's got a Sunday lesson, but then the rest of the week, um, we either we post it on the city or you can buy the book that's got family devotions for the rest of the week that you can have. So what we, my family, what we do is at dinner time, I tend to eat faster than the rest of the family and I have a bad tendency of eating faster than wanting to get up and go do my thing and letting Amanda deal with all the craziness of the babies, right? Uh, so one of the things that we do is I eat my food faster than everybody else and then I grab the Gospel Storybook Bible and I grab the other book with the curriculum in it and then we spend five to ten minutes in chaos, right? It's always chaos, but um, doing family devotions. This is what we call family worship. It's a practice that's been passed down from generations and this is one of the things that families do to disciple their kids. Okay. The church can't disciple their kids. We have to disciple our children. So I recommend that you pick this up. There's a discount. It's at a great discount at our box office. Also down with the kids, you can pick up one of these coupons and it's got a 35% off for all their other resources. So if you want to buy, um, the curriculum book to have at home, you can do that. Um, we are posting every single week on the city. We're posting the curriculum as a PDF so that you can download it to your iPad. Um, and fathers, men, lead your family. Lead your kids. This is your responsibility. Man up. It's not fun every time. You're hungry. You're tired. You want to kick it and watch the news. I get it. Lay down your life. Disciple your kids. Nobody else is going to do it. Okay? Don't put this on your wife. This is your job. This is what you do. Okay? So you can pick this up. At the box office in the back, you can even sign up for the city on the, at the box office on the back. Uh, we've got this resource, and we're trying to make it available for you. If you have any questions, you can talk to myself or uh, Sam or anyone down at the, that's working down with the kids' ministry this morning. They're probably going to know about it. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and pray. We're going to jump into our text this morning. <clears throat> Father, um, it is just a cloudy... It's just been a rainy week. It's just been one of those weeks where it's just kind of almost depressing. It feels like we're living in Seattle or something. It's just been a dark week. Uh, we've been inside our houses. We've been staring at the news, watching as terrorists 
run around in our country. Father, we've, uh, many times we've become insular. We've focused on ourselves. We've uh, put up walls around our house. We put walls around our heart. And um, that can lead us to a deep and dark place. Many of us this morning are in a deep and dark place. And I ask that your spirit would be here, would be near, that your word that you divinely inspired, that your word would be sharper than a two-edged sword that would pierce our hearts. It would pierce the walls that we built up. All the tactics that we have of deceiving ourselves, all the tactics we have of thinking this sermon is for somebody else and, oh, I really hope that person hears what Justin's saying or all of those tactics of, of deflecting your word. May they all fail. May they all fall flat today. And may your word strike us in our heart. Cut us deep, Father, and then pour the love of God in it. Pour the love of God. The love of God that's been shed abroad, that's been shed in our hearts, that's been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Fill our hearts. Fill our gaps. Father, I ask that you would do that for myself this morning. I ask that you would do that for our body this morning. And I ask that you would allow us have a, to just to have a good time in your word. This is the greatest part of the greatest story ever told. And we are blessed to be able to sit under it. We are blessed to be able to get into it and study it. And may it be a fruitful time for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you don't have a Bible, I'm, uh, we've got them sitting right back in the aisle right there. I want you to get one. I want every person to have a Bible this morning. I want everyone, if it's an app on your phone, open up the app, turn to Genesis 29. If you've got to grab a Bible, grab a Bible. Uh, but I want us to open it up. I want us to follow along. Part of my job isn't just to preach the Word, but to teach you how to read the Word and, and how to study the Word and how to see what I'm preaching in the Word. All right? Um, if you are new to Sacred City, I want to welcome you. My name is Justin. Um, we are studying the book of Genesis. We're literally going verse by verse through the whole book of Genesis, the first book of the entire Bible. I know we've already read a lot of scripture today, and many of you are like overwhelmed, like we would actually read that much scripture. But we believe what we read is infinitely more important than anything I'm about to say. Okay? That is God speaking. This is me trying to interpret what God's speaking, me trying to teach you what God's speaking. That is more important, okay? May God give me grace to preach what he wants me to preach, and may God give you grace to hear what he wants you to hear. But I'm not divinely inspired. I make mistakes every week. I walk home going, don't, shouldn't have said that, every week, right? And uh, God's word never fails. So I pray that he has something special to speak to us this morning. Um, if, you're not, if you weren't with us last week, last week we learned that Jacob was a man with an inner emptiness. He was a man who felt like heaven was closed to him. He was on his own and he was desperate to fill the black hole of his soul. We saw last week in chapter 28 that Jacob did have an encounter with God, but what we are going to see this week is that inner emptiness of his soul still remained. This is good news and bad news for us this morning. I want you to hear this. On the one hand, it means that when you meet God, your life will change. But on the other hand, it also shows us that more often than not, your life doesn't change all at once. It's a slow process, painfully slow. 
And you can still be struggling right now. Maybe 30 years ago you accepted Jesus. Maybe 30 years ago you embraced your faith. But even right now, day to day, you're struggling with an inner emptiness. What we're going to see today, and I believe that you're going to resonate with today, is that every single human being has been built by God to be filled by God. Hear that. Every human has been built by God to be filled by God. That's the only way humans can find their ultimate joy, happiness, meaning, and purpose. We are built with an inner emptiness, an inner vacuum, an inner black hole that desires and has to be filled by God. But what happens when a person is closed off from heaven? What happens when a person doesn't know God or is a stranger to grace or is a stranger to how God fills them on a day-to-day basis? What happens to that person? This is what happens. They try to fill that inner emptiness with other things. They have to. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have to. I'm going to wake us up this morning. If I got to do something, I'm going to do it. Listen, this is the universal human condition. There's no, I'm not talking about somebody else in this room. I'm talking about you this morning. I'm talking about me. If you're not completely filled by God, you are filling yourself with other things. If God hasn't satisfied your soul with his grace, you are desperately trying to find that satisfaction in other things. A few years ago, when I went to Africa, we do a lot of work in Kenya. We've started churches in Kenya. We've got a lot of kids that we adopt and we sponsor in Kenya. We've built schools in Kenya and wells. We've done a lot of stuff in Kenya. When I went over there, uh, I got to meet some of our children that we sponsor. And Joshua was telling, showing me some of these kids who he found in the slums. And when he found them, their stomachs were literally bloated. And what they were doing is they were so hungry. They had nothing to eat. Their parents had abandoned them. They had nothing to eat. So that what they were literally doing was they were stuffing themselves with mud. They would eat the mud because there were, the hunger pains were so unbearable that they would eat the mud just to feel full. I believe that's what all of us do on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. We are hungry for God. We don't know how to appropriate that. We don't know how to feast on Him. We don't know how to get what He's got for us. So we stuff ourselves full of other things. And we're still hungry. We're still malnourished. We still feel empty, even though we have bloated stomachs full of dirt. So let me catch you up. I'm going to catch you up a little bit on this story, and then we're going to jump into our text. We're going to find out how is Jacob trying to fill his own inner emptiness. If you remember, Jacob was the younger brother of twins. He came out of his mother's womb, grabbing on to his brother's heel. Right? He was unloved by his father. The Bible straight up says he was not loved by his father. His father loved his brother Esau. Then eventually he grows up and he becomes this deceitful young man who deceives his, both his brother and his father. He steals the inheritance of the firstborn and he steals the promised blessing of the firstborn. Obviously, this infuriates his older meathead brother Esau, right? And meathead brother Esau threatens to kill him. So now Jacob is thrust out of the house. He's penniless. He's alone and he's forced away from the only person who has ever loved him, his mom. 
Jacob's mom is the only person who's ever loved him. And now he's pushed out of the house to never see her again. Think about that. That's the backdrop of the story that we're studying today. Jacob had a large hole in his soul. His mother was the only one to ever love him. And now he's been pushed away. He's on the run. He's penniless. He's broke. He has nothing going for him. The only one who's ever loved him is gone. Can you feel that this morning? That, we've got we to get in that emotional context. We've got to be able to feel what he's feeling if we're going to read this story rightly. Jacob is a man with an inner emptiness. And if what I said earlier is true, then he's going to be desperate to try to fill that inner emptiness with something. Okay? So he's got a hole from his mom. His, mom, his mom's love is the only one he's ever got. His father never loved him. He's a deceitful guy. He's got this inner hole that needs to be filled now he's on his own. Let's see how he's going to try to fill it himself. Open up your Bibles to Genesis 29. Okay. I'm going to skim over a little bit. I'm going to go, because we've already read it, I'm not going to read verse by verse. All right. But the first eight chapters is, or first eight verses is this. Jacob is sent out of his house and he stumbles upon a well. Okay, I like this. He just, he, he leaves. Last week he had an encounter with God. Now this week he gets up and he's going. He's walking. He's heading out east, away from his family, away from everything he's known. And then he stumbles upon a well. He doesn't know where he is. He's like a city boy who's lost in the woods. But he does know a thing or two about being a shepherd. And he notices all of these, quote unquote, I'm going to call them city workers sitting around this well. Okay, here's what's going on. See, Jacob shows up and there's this well there and there's a huge stone on top of the well. Okay, it's a large stone. And what would happen is this stone was very big. And what what these shepherds would do is they had it worked out. They're working by the hour. It doesn't really matter. They would all get there at different times. They would wait until all the shepherds got there. And then all the shepherds would move that big rock together. Okay, that rock was there so kids couldn't fall in it. So animals couldn't get in it. So they couldn't get stuff dropped down into the well. Okay, so Jacob gets there and he's like, what are you guys doing? Why aren't you moving this? Why aren't you moving the rock off the well? And the guys say, hey, we're waiting for everybody to get here. All right. They don't want to work too hard. You know, they want to wait till everybody gets there, even though it's going to clog up the well. If they wait, and they're going to have to water all their sheep at the same time. These guys aren't really wor- worried about efficiency. They're not trying to work smart. They're just wanting to put in an hour, put in a day's work. Right. So that's what happened. All these lazy dudes had created a pretty laid back daily ritual. We all get there. We move the rock together. We water our sheep. All right. So Jacob is watching this play out. And now let's go to our text. Look what happens in verse nine. When you're there, say there. Okay. While he was speaking with them, Rachel came out with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess. Okay. We got a woman coming out. She's a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and he watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. All right, I want you to see this picture. Do you see what's going on here? Jacob is walking up. He sees an unknown. He doesn't know where he's at. He's being led literally by the providence of God. He doesn't know where it just so happens. He stumbles upon his family's, you know, it's, it's his 
lineage, his family's house. He sees the well. He sees these lazy men around it. And then all of a sudden, Rachel pops up. He's having an argument with these shepherds. Why aren't you guys moving the rock? Move the rock and water your sheep. They're like, no, 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 that would be too much work. We're going to wait till everybody gets here. We're all going to do it together. And how does Jacob respond? Jacob takes one look at Rachel and he walks up to the well. He rips off the stone. He waters the whole flock. He kisses Rachel and then weeps aloud. This guy's an intuitive feeler. He's got to be. Right? That is a bold move. That is a bold move. Is it not? Right? And it also, it shows us something here. Jacob, when he wants to be, is incredibly strong. Jacob, when he wants to be, is an incredibly hard-working individual. He wa- all, the, all the other shepherds were waiting. This is a group project, man. We wait for all, maybe like eight, ten shepherds we get here, and we all, you know, we don't want to have to, my back, you know, my back hurt. We're just going to do this all together. Jacob sees Rachel, and this is just classic to me, right? It's like the guys at the gym, right? It's just... Immediately, he sees Rachel in his chest. His chest gets big. He walks up, throws a thing, kisses her, and then starts crying. (laughs) Oh, man. He's an emotional cat. Now, what we need to see here, here's here's what we're we're probably not going to remember, and I want to remind us of. What we need to see here is that this is a clear and deliberate juxtaposition of stories. A few chapters back, if you can remember, Abraham... Jacob's grandfather sent his servant to this same well to speak with Laban and find a wife for Isaac, Jacob's father. Do we remember that? But the circumstances of these stories are strikingly are a striking contrast. See, if you remember, Abraham's servant preceded every exchange with prayer. He looked at the well and he said, Lord, if you would give me favor, Lord, if this would be the woman that you want my servant to marry, may she gather water like this. And may she ask this of me and I'll say this and may she say that. If you remember, Abraham's servant was bathed in prayer. And then every time God would fulfill and every time God would answer and every time God would give him grace, he would worship and he would thank God. And he would say, God, you've made my way prosperous. You've given me success. Thanks be to God. This story is meant to show us a striking contrast between these two people approaching the same well with kind of the same M.O. Jacob never once prays. Jacob never once asks for guidance. Jacob never once seeks God's blessing. He never once thanks God or praises God. Jacob here is living his life. Jacob is doing things his way. Jacob is making his decisions with an inner emptiness. And God, this is so striking. God is about to use his providence as a means to transform Jacob's character. One commentator said, Jacob's in the right place at the wrong time for the wrong reasons, but God's going to use it for his glory. God's about, this is about He's prayerless, he's worshipless, and God's about with his sovereign hand to put, right, to put Jacob into a situation that's going to that's gonna shape his character. Ian Bounds has famous, famously said this, men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. 
Men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men. And I believe that God doesn't find good men. God doesn't look down from heaven and go, there's a good guy. God builds good men in the crucible of difficult human relationships. You want to know how God softens your heart? You want to know how God sharpens your character? You know how God refines you as a man? Through difficult relationships, through long suffering, through people hurting you and you forgiving them, from you hurting people and them not forgiving you and you having to love them and walk with them. There's no other way. Difficult relationships is how God makes men and women. And if you want another way, find another religion. The only way is through difficult human relationships. The sovereign God providentially moves in and out of your life. So, if you can remember from back from the story, Laban was a crook. He's a money-hungry, godless man. He's a master manipulator. And in Laban, Jacob the deceiver is about to meet, meet his match. All right, let's get back to the story here. Uh, <clears throat> Verse 12. And Jacob told Rachel that he was his father's kinsman and that he was Re- Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob's, Jacob, his sister's son, he ran, to me- he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Now listen, that is not Laban's affectionate. The last time a servant came, the servant came with, with cartloads of money. Okay? So Laban is a money-hungry man, and he's like, oh, okay. This is an opportunity here. Jacob's here. All right. I remember his daddy. I got some good money from his daddy. I'm going to go get something from this guy. Okay, that's what's going on. Let's keep reading. And Laban said to him, surely you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And he stayed with him, and he stayed with him a month. Okay, so here we go. Jacob finds his extended extended family. Now he has stayed with them a month. He has been working with them a month. Now listen, this is where Laban begins to spin his masterful web. Look at verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Jacob was a strong, look at Jacob. We just, we are, what's the first thing we saw about Jacob? He's a strong and passionate man. He walked up to those, what took eight shepherds to do. Jacob went up and did it all by himself. Okay. He's a strong and passionate worker. Laban wants to keep him around. And so he's, so he asks him, uh, what's it going to take? What's it going to take for me to keep you working for me? What do you want to stay? You've been here a month. You've been working for a month. You're obviously a great worker. What's it going to take for me to keep you around? This is where we see how Jacob is trying to fill his inner emptiness. Look at verse 16. Now Laban, so what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now stop right there. Leah's eyes were weak. Commentators are wrestling over this text. It's actually, Leah's eyes are soft. Is actually the, the Hebrew word there. And it's really hard to understand. It's, but it's, but it, what, what, what it says about Rachel gives clarification for what it means by what it says of Leah. Look, but Rachel was beautiful in form 
and appearance. So what's trying to be communicated is Leah is not attractive. Okay? She either had, she might have been cross-eyed, she either had protruding, she had something going on with her eyes, or it was kind of a way of saying, well, you know, she's, she's got pretty eyes. Right? It's, it's like, we, we, get, we get that. Like, Rachel, she's got pretty eyes, but, or Leah's got pretty eyes, but Rachel is smoking hot in form and appearance. So it's very clear what's going on here. Leah's not attractive. She's the older woman, or older sister, and Rachel is smoking. Right? That's what's going on. Let's keep reading. Verse 18. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Whoa. What do I want? Look look, look at this. What do I want for my wages? Rachel. Hey, what's it going to take you to keep you around? You're a great worker. What's going to take? Rachel. It's going to take Rachel. Do you want to think about this? No. And then what does he do? Blurts out. I'll serve her for seven years. I'll, I'll give seven years of my life for Rachel. Now, can you see what's going on here? Jacob, the younger brother who never worked a hard day in his life, right? He was in the house all the time. He didn't work in the field like his brother. He just offered to work seven years in order to marry Rachel. He's, Jacob is smitten. She had, she's put that thing on him. That's the only way I can't describe it any other way. He's head over heels. He's not in his right mind. He's done. Commentators say this is an absolute ridiculous bride price. Ridiculous. Way too much. It's an exorbitant amount. But what does it say in verse 20? Look in verse 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Whoa. Jacob worked seven years for this one woman and over way too big of a price to pay. I'm sorry, she wasn't worth it. Okay. He went over and above. Why? Because he was out of his mind in love with her. He was smitten. He was head over heels. And it says those seven years of his life, he wasn't, guys, this is to get her. He wasn't married for, he like didn't get her and then work for seven years. He waited seven years. Okay. He's head over heels in love with her. But it said those seven years seem like a few days because he's working away. And all I can think of is Rachel, 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 Rachel. Right. I'm going to get her. She's smoking hot. I can't believe she's so hot and I'm going to get her. But was it really love? Was he head over heels in love with Rachel? Or was it something else? The leading Hebrew scholar, Robert Alter, says of this text that we can see Jacob's real reasoning for the high price in verse 21. So, right now, look, 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 look at me right now. Verse 20, Jacob, he's worked seven years to get this girl. Okay. He was penniless. He had an inner emptiness. He's worked seven years to get this girl. And now look, look at verse 21. Look what he says. Then Jacob said to Laman, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. Whoa. Do you see what he's saying? 
Jacob works the seven years with Rachel in his mind. He's so smitten that the time literally flies by. But on the day, you know it's the day. You know it's midnight of seven years to be complete. He walks up to Laban and in a terribly crass and culturally offensive way, he says, give her to me so that I can have sex with her. I've paid my dues. Charming. This, they did not speak like this in that culture. This is, this is a, a, this is like a song on our billboard 100. If you didn't know, 92 out of the 100 top songs in our billboard right now is about sex. 92 out of 100. He's seeing her as an object. We know it because midnight, give her to me. I've worked for her. I paid my dues. I want to have sex with her. Not, I want to love her. Not that I want to have, I mean, it was, it's crass in the Hebrew. Alter says that this should make us aware that Jacob is a man out of control. He's a man ruled by his passions. Why is he like this? Think about this guys. Why is he like this? Why is he so smitten by Rachel? Why is he so crude about just making it out? I mean, going to her father. Going to her father, hey, I bought her, I paid for her, I worked seven years. My bed's right there, drop her there. Right? Why is he so crude? Why is he so obvious? Why does he need her or want her so badly? Listen to me. This is how he's dealing with the failures of his life. This is how he's filling his inner emptiness. Everything in my life might be going to hell in a handbasket, but look at this stunning woman. Look how beautiful she is. If I get her, finally I'll be loved. If I get her, finally that hole in my soul will be filled. If I get her, finally I'll be a success. Finally I'll know that I'm somebody. Nobody's loved me my whole life. My mother's the only one who's loved me. I'm a gone from her. I have an inner emptiness. If I get this woman, I'll be somebody. Do you see that? Now listen, can I turn this on you and ask you, how are you filling your inner, inner emptiness? How are you trying to fill that? How do you get rid of your own sense of meaninglessness? On a day, I mean, you get those thoughts, you get those feelings. No one cares for me. No one loves me. I'm all alone. My life, I've wasted my life. My kids have rejected me. My, you get those feelings. How do you deal with them? What do you do with them? When you have that inner emptiness, what do you use to fill it? How do you deal with the failures of your life? Jacob was trying to fill it. was trying to deal with it with the love of another person. We know Jacob was a schemer. He's always been. He's always been the most shrewd guy and most cunning man in the room. But now in Laban, in Laban, he's about to meet his match. Laban is about to take Jacob to school. Listen. You guys know this, right? Well, many of you, if you're in business, you know this. The first rule about negotiating in business is whoever speaks first loses, right? 
So if you're negotiating a contract and you go, you, it's a kind of a back and forth. You're kind of like, well, what, what will you give me for it? And then the other guy's kind of like, well, what do you want for it? Each guy knows that whoever speaks first is going to lose. Because if I'm, if I'm like, I'd probably pay 60000 for this house, but if I blurt out 60000 he might have been willing to sell it to me for thirty. So the first guy, and in business negotiation, the, you don't want it, the first person to speak loses. So when Laban walks up and Laban goes, um, what do I got to do to keep you around the house? And Jacob, foot in his mouth, I'll work seven years for it. For, Laban's like, hmm. He's desperate. That's crazy talk. He knows that she's not worth that. Laban's like, he's desperate. I got him. Laban is a master manipulator. So now Laban begins to roll out this master plan. This is what happens. He's worked seven years for Rachel. Well, in his mind, he's worked seven years for Rachel. If you actually go back and look at the text, Laban never agrees to give him Rachel. Laban says, well, it'd be, he goes, I want, I'll work seven years for, for Rachel. And Laban goes, well, better give her, you know, better to you than to somebody else. He never actually says, oh yeah, sure. This, this deal works. Just kind of, it's real fuzzy talk, right? So this is what Laban does. Wedding night, seven years, huge feast, a lot of drinking going on. He gets Jacob a little tipsy, right? It's, it's dark out. Remember, long time ago, there's no electric lights. We get this, right? He dresses up his younger daughter, or his, his older daughter, Leah, the one with the pretty eyes, puts a veil over her face for reasons we know, uh, sends her into his wedding tent. It's dark. He's inebriated. And Jacob has sex with Leah thinking it's Rachel. One of the sad, this is one of the saddest stories to me in all of the scripture. Jacob goes to bed with the woman of his dreams and he wakes up with Leah. But what happens next is the key to this whole story. Verse 25. And in the morning... Behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Guys, listen. These are the same words that Esau and Isaac used against Jacob. Why have you deceived me? Now, what goes around has come around. You reap what you sow. Jacob, the deceiver, has now been caught and been deceived. And this, what, the, what he says next, will let you, will get, get what happens here. It'll help you get what happens. Look at verse um, 26. So Jacob says, why have you done this? Why have you deceived me? Laban says, it's not so, it's not so done in our country. I want you, I'm going to say it like he probably said it. It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Do you get this? Do you hear what he's saying? Hey, 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 hey. Around here, the younger doesn't get to take the place of the firstborn. 
You get that? What did Jacob do? Remember? Jacob stole the rights of the firstborn. And now Laban, the master manipulator, Jacob wakes up in the morning. Why have you deceived me? What have you done? Why have you done this? Hey, hey, hey. Around here in this house, we don't let the younger take the rights of the firstborn. He doesn't say the older. He says the firstborn, making it very clear. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City that I was uh, listening to and reading on this, he said this. When Laban makes that statement, it was like a spear that went straight through Jacob's heart. He buckled under that statement. There's no arguing. There's no response. He doesn't, he doesn't give his reply. He just says, okay, I'll serve seven more years for Rachel. <laughs> it just goes right to his heart. Why? He knew I have, I, I hate to say it like this, I've gotten got. What, what went around has come around. I've deceived and now I've been deceived. I stole the rights of the firstborn and now it's come around and gotten me. I've gotten what comes due. Jacob knew Laban is doing to me exactly what I did to my brother and father. In fact, if you think about it, Jacob's father, Isaac, was dim of eyes. He was blind. So Isaac just could feel who is there. He call, Isaac calls out, who is it? Jacob says, it's I, Esau. Think of what happens in the middle of the night. He feels for the woman. He calls out, who is it? She says, it's it's Rachel. Leah says that. It was dark. He was blinded. Do you see the parallels to this story? What happened, what he did has now happened to him. Listen, and this was Jacob's way of coping with his inner emptiness. This is how Jacob was trying to fill that hole. So now it's been taken from him. Jacob said, if I get Rachel, then I know I'm somebody. If I get Rachel, then I know I'm loved. If I get Rachel, then I'll feel like a man. And now Rachel's been taken from him. But Jacob's dreams aren't the only ones shattered here. This shatters Leah as well. We don't know too much about Leah. We just know, we know that she's not very attractive. She's the firstborn. And of course, this is over and against the absolute beauty of her younger sister. No doubt, Leah grew up in the shadow of her more attractive younger sister. Leah really was the ugly duckling. She was overlooked. She was discounted. She was second class. In fact, Laban basically says, this is the only way that I'm going to get her, get rid of her. I've got to trick somebody into marrying this girl. He's literally just unloading her. She is unloved and unwanted. But can I ask you, how was Leah? That, That leaves an inner emptiness, right? You're unloved. You're unwanted. That's going to leave an inner emptiness. And if the, if my theory which the theory is that all of us have an inner emptiness and we're all trying to fill it with something, let's find out here. Jacob was trying to fill the inner emptiness with the love of his love of Rachel. He didn't get it. How is Leah trying to fill her inner emptiness? Look at verse 32. Well, let's read 31 first. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. 
And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction. Look, 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 look. For now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. She called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time, oh, can you hear the inner angst here? Can you hear the inner emptiness? Now this time, this time, my third child, this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name will be called Levi. Can you see this? Look up. That's what he says. She says in those three verses, she's having babies. Now he sees me. Now he'll hear me. Now he'll be attached to me. Now he'll love me. Leah's having babies. She's trying to be the perfect stay-at-home mom. Listen, this is how I'll get my husband's love. This is how I'll fill this inner emptiness. Leah is trying to fill the black hole in her soul with the love of a man. I know there's people in this room who've been wounded, who've been taken advantage of, who have not been loved as children, who have not been loved as young adults, who feel the inner emptiness. And how do they deal with it? How are you dealing with the inner emptiness? How are you dealing with it? Are you seeking it in the love of men? Are you seeking it in the love of a woman? Are you seeking it in another one night stand? Are you seeking it at the end of a bottle? At the end of a, something to smoke? Are you see, Where are you finding it? I hope you can see that here. Jacob and Leah are both trying to fill an inner emptiness with the love of another human being. And both of them, guys, look at this is where they end up. This is where, can I, can I be a prophet to you? They've both been devastated by it. Their life is broken because of it. Jacob has worked seven years, actually 14 years to get the love of this woman. And his life is in turmoil and broken because he's trying to use a woman to fill a hole in his soul. Leah is trying to have enough babies and try to be be a good enough wife to get the attention and love and affection from her husband. But her husband can't give that to her. So she's devastated by it. This is the cause of so much of the devastation and emotional turmoil of our lives and of our culture. We're trying to find something that only can be found in God. We're trying to find it in created things and it doesn't work. It devastates us. Listen, what should we learn from this? What should we learn from this? Listen, here's something. Jacob goes to bed with the one and he wakes up with disappointment. Jacob goes to bed. Finally, I know I'm a man. The day I rolled off that stone, I puffed out my chest and I laid one on her. Days finally come. I get to prove it. I'm the man. He goes to bed with, as the man. He goes to bed with the one thing that will tell him he's somebody. And he wakes up broken. He wakes up devastated. He wakes up unfulfilled. Guys, this is the way of the world. 
How many times have you gotten the job and you said, this job's the one? This is the one I've been waiting for. This is the one I've been working for. This is the one that's going to, I got the corner office or I got the big contract. Or I got, this is the one that's going to make me feel like I'm finally somebody. I'm going to make dad happy. I'm going to make mom happy. I'm going to look like a success to my neighbors. I can make my wife happy and buy her the minivan. This is going to be great. And a month into that job and six months into that job and a year into that job, the newness wears off and you wake up and you realize, oh, it's not as good as it looked. Or the new relationship. Right? This is where affairs are born. The hard work of human relationships. We look outside of our marriage and we say, I think that secretary of mine, she really appreciates me as a person. She really respects me. She really gets me. She really, she builds me up and all my wife does is cut me down. You want to know why? Because she don't know who you really are. That's why. If she knew who you really were, she would be cutting you down too. And you pay her paycheck. All right? This is what we do. We think that'll make me happy. Singles. We go to the club. We go to the bar. We go looking for a one night stand, looking for a hookup, looking for something to fill that gap. And then we wake up the next morning. We take the walk of shame and we realize what promised at midnight doesn't fulfill in the morning. This is the way of the world. The glo- this, this, like every four years this happens, just about four, minimum eight. The new president will save us. He'll be awesome. And that lasts a few weeks, right? The glory of good and goodness of all those things fade. C.S. Lewis once said, if I find in myself, if I find in myself desires, which nothing in this world can satisfy, The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. So he's saying, if I look in and I can find an unsatisfiable desire, the only logical explanation is I was built for another world or I was built to be filled by God. So what's the answer? What will fill that inner emptiness? What will fill the black hole of our soul? Let's look to Leah. I think Leah shows us here. We see her say three times, how do you fill that hole? My husband, my husband, my husband. She's looking to her husband. Look at, this, look at this. She's looking to her husband to save her from her inner emptiness. Her husband has become her savior. Now listen, if we could sit Leah down right here, we could say, Leah, why are you looking to your husband to be your savior? She'd be like, oh, I'm not. I'm not looking, I just really love him. I just really want to serve him. I just really, I just, I'm not. Listen, she, she's going to be just like us. She's going to be blind to it. She doesn't get, she's naming her kids. Your kids are going to walk around with those names all their life. Now my husband finally will listen. Now my husband will see me. Now he'll finally be close to me. She's naming her kids that. Lady, you have an issue. We need a missional community to show you that. So what's the answer? Look at verse 35. And she conceived again, this is the fourth child. And she bore a son and she said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. 
Then she ceased bearing. So what's the answer? Judah. This time I will praise the Lord. God does something. Listen to me here. This is crucial for us to understand it. God does something here inside of Leah. Her circumstances do not change. She's still married to a husband that does not love her. But now she has realized that God loves her. Now, this is not a, oh, God loves me. I didn't know that before. This is, I know it in my bones now. I feel it. The inner emptiness that I had has melted away, has been filled. If I had a Grand Canyon in my soul, God has so filled it with the love of God that there's a mountain on top of it now. Everything that I thought I lacked, I see how God has over-fulfilled it all. Three times she says, now my husband will love me. But no, with the birth of Judah, she says, now I have felt the love of God. Look at verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. When God saw that she was hated, he loved her. God was filling her inner emptiness with himself. He was giving her the love that every other person had withheld from her. Everyone else had saw Leah as ugly and unworthy, but God chooses her and places his love upon her. And don't miss this. Judah is the family line that Jesus will descend from. God chooses the rejected, hated, and ugly sister to be the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. Have you felt like Leah has felt? Have you looked to some person to provide the love and meaning to your life that only to be rejected, only to find out they can't do it, they fail you, they hurt you? Have you felt that inner desperation? Listen, one thing that I've, I've been concerned of is this church cannot save you. Life in a missional community cannot save you. Getting close to me and knowing me personally cannot save you. I'm a horrible savior. This church is a horrible savior. Missional communities are a horrible savior. All I want to be good at is going, it ain't me, sister. It's him. It's Jesus. I'm imperfect. This church is imperfect. You're imperfect. Missional communities are imperfect. Jesus isn't. He's Perfect. This blows my mind. Have you felt that? That desperation of looking to something else. This will finally make me feel whole. This will finally make me feel loved. This will finally make me feel like a person. Only to have that thing devastate you. Only to have that hurt and that inner emptiness remain. Listen to this. This just blows my mind. So has Jesus. What amazes me is that Jesus was spotless and beautiful in heaven. He was absolutely glorious and stunning. He was the good and better Rachel in heaven. But in his humility, he chose to come down to earth as Leah. Jesus came as Leah. He was unattractive. He was poor. He was a nobody. He was rejected and ridiculed by just about everyone that should have loved him. Jesus was even rejected by his father on the cross. 
God the Father rejected Jesus on the cross. But why? Why did the good and better Rachel come to earth as the true and better Leah? Why did the beautiful one come as the ugly, suffering servant? Why did he do it? Why? To fill our inner emptiness. To satisfy our souls. I feel like so many of us, we, we've completely forgotten what it means to be content. That true godliness is contentment. It's great gain. Do we know what it means to be satisfied in him? Or do we have to have the approval of people? Do we have to have the love and affection of others? Do we have to have the comfort that money can provide? Do we have to have the entertainment? And what, and listen, Jesus was totally emptied on the cross so that we could be filled with the Father's love. He was emptied so that we could be filled with the Father's love. And when we really see that, and when we really believe that, it changes us. It galvanizes us. It fills us. In, in, in five verses and four babies, Leah went from a woman desperate for her husband's love to a woman who was satisfied in God and praising the Lord. Listen, that ain't a quick process. Four babies, right? Took her four babies, five verses. They, they were nice and succinct for us. Four babies. It took her. That's a long time, right? That's, I don't even know, I can't do the math. Eight to 20 years of her life seeking the approval of people, seeking for men or her husband to validate her and tell her she's somebody until finally the love of God sinks. The penny drops. She gets it. So many of us have this overwhelming fear of being unloved. That fear, and you know it, is an incredibly powerful emotion that can push us to medicate ourselves in many different ways. Do you spend hours in front of the TV trying to numb yourself? Do you try to escape from that inner emptiness through drugs and alcohol? Do you think that the answer to your inner emptiness is another one-night stand or another look at pornography? Or do you use food to numb the feelings of emptiness? Do you just stay really busy? That's what our culture likes to do. Do you just stay really busy? And if you stay really, really busy and you're stressed out about all the kids and you're stressed about all the sports and you're stressed out about all the groceries and all the stuff that you've got to do, if you stay really busy, you'll never really notice the deep fear that motivates all of that busyness a deep fear of being unloved. A deep fear of being inner empty. I think many of us, if not all of us, desperately fear that we're Leah. We're afraid of being unloved and ugly. We spend millions of dollars every year on makeup and clothes and image and Instagram and Instagram and Facebook. And why do we love these things so much? Because we have a way we can take that picture of our perfect side with the lighting just right. And we know we look good. Why? Because we fear 
we're Leah. We fear we're the ugly one. We fear we're not accepted. And many of us are just angry about it. We're angry that we feel like Leah. We feel unloved and underappreciated. And if we had to be honest about it, we're mad at God. So we look to our careers. We look to our human relationships. We look to our marriages. We look to our kids. We look to sex. We look to money. We look to power to tell us that we're lovable. In a sense, we're all so desperate to be Rachel. But don't miss this. God chooses Leah. Can you look yourself in the mirror and accept the fact that you are Leah and you are desperate for God himself to fill your soul with praise? Until you can, you're going to be a slave to lesser loves. You'll be stuck on the merry-go-round of trying to earn and trying to fill an eternal black hole in your soul with created things. You're going to be looking to people and people are going to be overwhelmed by you because they can't fill that hole. And you're going to be constantly looking at the next church or the next person or the next pastor or the next job or the next career or the next woman. You're going to be looking to that next thing to fill an inner black hole that only God can fill. Listen, in the gospel, we're all Leah's. We are ugly and unlovable, but God chooses to marry us. He chooses to love us and only that love, hear me, hear me, only that love, the love of Christ can actually heal us and can actually free us and can actually fill us in our inner emptiness. Only his love can do it, guys. Only his love. So many people say, Justin, why is this so hard? Why is it so difficult? Why do I look to other things to to fill my inner emptiness? I think there's two reasons. Number one, we're sinners. We still have sin inside of us. Okay? That's never going to change until Jesus comes back or we die and we're, it's called glorified. We get to get a whole new body and we get to, we get to receive the holiness of Jesus in a different way. But secondly, I think because Christians have been sold a false gospel. We've been sold a gospel that come to church and be comfortable and everything will work out and you'll get the raise and favor of God will be upon you and you can go and everything will be easy and the money will come and you'll never get sick and, and, and it's a fall and relationships will be easy. <laughs> and you're here, read this book and you'll have a great marriage. Mm, good luck with that one. Listen, God is trying to build better men. And women, he's trying to shape us in a certain type of people. And it takes difficulty to do that. Okay. This is the best quote I know on this. I want you to listen to this by C.S. Lewis. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and he's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. Listen, you knew those jobs needed to be done. And so you're not surprised. Oh, thank you for that little work you're doing on me, Jesus. Thank you for cleaning up. I know I was a little proud and I was a little aggressive or I was a little emotional. I was a little, thank you for cleaning up those nice little things and throwing a little paint on the walls. But presently, 
He starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here. He's putting on an extra floor there. He's running up towers and he's making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. I found this so true. Guys, can we just be honest and say, I don't know what the heck God's doing in your life. I don't know what he's doing in my life. It's painful. I'm like, leave that alone. Don't push on that. I thought I was done with that. And he's trying to pop out on a new wing. He's trying to make me into something better. He's trying to change me. I don't see I need the change. I don't know I need the change. But he's at work warring against my idolatries and, sh- and, and softening my heart because he wants to do something different in me. And you're, we're all the same way. Do we get it? No. But I promise you, it's good. He does all, everything works together for, the, for, for our good. Is it difficult? Is it painful? Yes. Is it good? Absolutely. And he's doing it to come and fill you with himself. Now, if you could bow your heads with me. I ask that you would, I believe that the Spirit's at work right now. I believe the Spirit is changing hearts as we speak and as the word goes forth. I pray that you would soften your heart and you would ask the Spirit and you would ask God, what am I using to fill my inner emptiness? What am I using? And it would be a great conversation on the way home or later this afternoon to look to your wife and say, honey, what do you think I'm using to fill my inner emptiness? Or look to your husband and say, honey, what do you think I'm using to fill my inner emptiness? And this morning, as we come to the table, the Lord's table, I pray if if God would show you that, if God would give you a picture of what you're using to fill that inner emptiness, what are you using to, to feel like Rachel, even though you know you're Leah, that you would turn from that and turn to Jesus because Jesus desires to fill you abundantly above all that you could ask or think. He wants to pour his love and his spirit in you and heal you of all your past uncleannesses and heal you from all your past hurts and pains. And I pray that as you repent and as you place your faith in the gospel, that you would come and you would take this bread that represents the body of Christ and you would drink this cup that represents the blood of Christ and it would fill that hole in your soul. And you would think of this as a gift that that God has given you to fill that hole in your soul. And Father, I pray that you would do that work, that you are supernatural, that you are a God of miracles and a God of abundance and that you are a God who fills us with yourself. And God, all the lesser things that we try to fill our hearts with, I pray that we would see the folly in that. I pray that we would feel the overwhelming love of the Father as you fill us with your body and your blood and your spirit. Father, let us glorify you for saving Leah's, for coming and living and dying for Leah's. We worship you in Jesus' great name.
Amen.